here we are at the end of um, the end of two Corinthians. We're not quite fully back to normal, are we? There's still a lot that that isn't as we would want it to be. We're still not fully in the unit, hoping to get back into there in some way during September. But we've been through a, a really incredible time. Um, these past few months, I think, for all of us, will be burned into our memories. We are living through a historic moment. Uh, and we've journeyed together through that moment, through this second letter of Paul to the Corinthian church, this fledgling church, uh, a church which in lots of ways it was marked by, by sin and rebellion and mixed up teaching, strife. Um, nothing much has changed in the church really, has it? Um, so we come to these last few verses. It's an incredibly short reading. How do we close a letter like this? Uh, and to some extent, how do we use our journey through 2 Corinthians to, to round off this, this strange time that we've been in? I think there's a lot of people talking about reflecting on, on life. And, and, and is there a way in which we can use these last few verses to do that? So many people are talking about um, a new order or a new way of being, not returning to our past ways. Well, I think in lots of ways, these last few verses give us an opportunity to think about that. Maybe you're joining us, um, not necessarily normally a part of the Christchurch family. It's great that you can be with us. What we do at Christchurch is we work through um, books of the Bible or sections of the Bible and we're coming to the end here of this letter and um, maybe some of the things that we're going to talk about might seem um, surprising to you. The idea that, that faith in a God outside of this world who made himself present in Jesus, that might be new to you. I want to encourage you to maybe if you found yourself here, keep digging into that idea. Uh, keep listening and uh, consider whether this might be true, that this Jesus of Nazareth might be the one unique figure in history that gives us insight into whether there is truth and life beyond the world that we see. That's certainly what the Bible claims uh, and what we want to, to think about in these last few minutes uh, of this book. First thing that we see then in verse uh, 11 of chapter 13, Paul encourages the church at Corinth to do something really surprising. He says, decide to rejoice. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. He's almost telling them to rejoice. That's a strange thing to do, isn't it? I think in our way of thinking, certainly in our culture, we, we can't decide to rejoice it's almost something that happens to us doesn't it so so how is it that Paul is encouraging the church here to rejoice after all the circumstances in Corinth for the church certainly over the next years are certainly not going to be conducive to rejoicing the church is going to come under pressure it's going to be oppressed it's going to be persecuted Families are going to be ripped apart. People are going to be thrown into prison. People are going to be killed. 
because they believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth. And he says to them, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. So I want to ask the question, how, how does that work? And is, is rejoicing something that we can just decide to do? Well, in one sense, yes, and in another sense, no. I think it's true that we can decide to put on a mask of rejoicing. We can decide to make it look as though we're rejoicing. I don't know, but for many of us, as we gather in, in the days when we were able to gather in church and sing together, and sometimes to be part of a group of people who are singing an uplifting song of worship, when other things are going on in our lives, sometimes that doesn't feel like true rejoicing. It feels like a mask. So how is Paul encouraging the church here to rejoice? Well, the first thing to say is this final little closing to the letter. It's not disconnected from everything else that he said before. He's been encouraging them to find comfort in Jesus who lives, in the one who died and was raised again and lives eternally to return and to redeem them. And so when we get to this point where he says, brothers and sisters, rejoice, I think rejoicing in that works like this. That if that is a truth, if the claims of the Bible that Jesus is the redeeming king, to return and to bring eternal hope for those who trust in him, then rejoicing in some way can take place even in the worst of circumstances. And it works like this. When, when that idea, when that hope is so burned into our thinking, into our attitude, into the way that we look at every individual situation, every attitude that we are faced with, every circumstance that pours over us. When we find ourselves in the worst and the best of situations, we're not taken over by this other thing that, that seems to be offering us so much better than Jesus could ever offer, offer us, or we're not taken up by this terrible thing that overwhelms us. But that actually hope in Jesus is able to always be that greater thing. And so Paul calls us today, really, through this letter, to rejoice in that way, to find a hope which is greater than all of the experiences in life. One of the things I would say is that Paul isn't one of those guys who who doesn't practice what he preaches. He's not somebody who tells you to do one thing but does another thing. There's an occasion when he's taken and beaten for preaching about Jesus and he's thrown into prison and he's heard in the middle of the night singing songs of praise to God. I think that the only way in which Paul was able to do that is because God worked in him in such a way that the hope of Jesus was bigger than his current circumstance 
I don't know what your circumstances are at the moment. But one thing I think I can say, because this is what the Bible claims, is that there can never be a circumstance which is bigger than the hope that Jesus brings. Paul didn't know whether he was going to lose his life that next day. As it turned out, he didn't. But he later on did in a Roman jail. He finally lost his life for believing in Jesus. We don't read any of that account, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was singing in the jail on that night. That's something to aspire to, isn't it? That's something to hope for, is that we could move into the next chapter of our lives, this post-lockdown experience, where we're looking for a hope in Jesus, which rises above every experience in our lives good or bad. It, it keeps us stable. It keeps us balanced. It keeps us lifted up. It gives us the opportunity to decide to rejoice. The second uh, part of that verse is also really very, very appropriate for our time right at the moment. Look at what it says, back end of verse 11. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace. That's a big thing to say, isn't it? I have heard so often, I've said it myself, I don't want to go back to the way it was. But you know, as weeks kind of change little by little and we start ending up in work in a slightly more normal way and the roads are busier, and everything that we thought we weren't going to do, we seem to be falling back into. I think that's probably the way it will go. One of the things that we could decide for here is to strive for peace. He's writing to a church that have been through incredible difficulties. There's been um, false teachers have come into the church. We've looked at that. We've had people who've been openly rebellious against God in their lifestyle and yet have still been claiming to be part of the church. We've read about that. We've read about all sorts of difficulties in this church. And Paul, he ends up at the end of it saying, strive for full reconcil reconciliation and restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. What does that mean? I don't think it, well, I know he's not saying, let's find the lowest common denominator. Let's find the place where we can agree, even with the false teachers. You know, at, at the end of the day, do we all believe in this idea of a God? Well, can't we all find a common ground in that? Not at all. What he's saying is, I want you to find Jesus Christ to be your central restoring um one-mindedness, focus. Live in peace with each other because you first live in peace with Jesus Christ. And he's saying to them, I want you to live in peace with each other because of that. Well, how can that work, Paul? Work something like this. Every fallout, every disagreement 
has an injured party and a, a guilty party. The problem is that we often don't know or we don't believe or we don't understand exactly who is the guilty party and who is the injured party and, and who's to blame in the first place anyway. But when the cross of Jesus Christ comes into that equation, we realize this, that the injured party, if whoever we were, we are, and in most cases, both sides of an argument tend to find that they believe that they are the injured party. We want justice. We want to be resolved. We want to have that thing dealt with. Well, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ says that for two people who believe in Jesus, it has been dealt with. It has been dealt with. If you are the, the, the injured party, if you feel as if you've been hurt by somebody who claims faith in Jesus Christ, that action against you has been punished already in Jesus. And likewise, if you feel as if you have been so badly dealt with. You have one who is walking alongside you, who is equally mistreated. And he says to you at this moment in time, no matter what has gone on in your life, no matter how you've been mistreated, you are accepted by me. I love you. And if we know that we are the guilty party and we come and we, we seek forgiveness, we also know that because of the cross of Jesus, we already are forgiven in Jesus. That's great news. And so we can strive for full restoration in a different way. You know, striving for full restoration outside of the cross means that we've got to resolve all of those conflicts and we've got to finally find a way forward. But when the cross enters into the centre of that striving, we find that we have a way forward. And that's why Paul encourages them to remember that as they strive for peace, the God of love and peace will be with you. You see that? The God of love and peace will be with you as you strive for peace. Isn't that interesting? He's saying live in peace and the God of peace lives with you. That's great news. But it's also the very foundations on which we can know peace. You are not alone in this cause. You are pursuing, we are pursuing a peace together which has already been worked out by Jesus as we come out of this period of time. I think in the early days, in the March time, there was a, whole, a lot of people who were reflecting and maybe some regrets, maybe some decisions that they would want to do something differently if ever they were able to. I pray that for our church, that we always are striving for full restoration, encouraging each other and living in peace with each other because we know that we have found peace with Jesus. That 
is a post-lockdown goal with a chance of actually moving forward because we know that Jesus walks alongside us. That's the second thing he says. Decide to rejoice, strive for peace. The third thing that he says is, well, let's have a look at what it says in verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. I'm not sure how that works with social distancing, are you? I'm even not sure how that works with 21st century Western culture. Do you see the danger of just grabbing hold of a verse? What do we do with that verse? Do we try to interpret it literally? Do we say somehow we've got to work out this holy kiss thing? What does it mean? And do we keep masks on? Do we take masks off? What does it mean to be involved with a holy kiss idea? I think what he's saying is quite simply this. Be, in a godly way, affectionate towards each other. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to be marked, not just by doing the right thing for each other. You can do the right thing, but not be affectionate. And he's saying, I want you to do the right thing. I want you to honour each other. I want you to treat each other as brothers and sisters. But I want you to do that with affection for each other. Imagine if we were shaped, not just by doing the right thing, but by being affectionate towards each other, a holy, God-honouring, non-self-centred affection for everybody around us. That's what Paul is encouraging us towards. And he says, as he, as he writes to them, and by the way, God's people here are sending their affectionate greetings to you. They have an affection for you. Do you realise what we're part of here? Through this particular technology, we're reaching literally around the world. That's incredible. I think Paul would have loved the idea of the internet, the opportunity to, to share the gospel across the whole of the world. If he'd have had a camera, he could have done it from his prison cell. But do you know that we are part of, do you see that we are part of one body? That's what that final statement there in verse 13 says. All God's people here, they're sending you their greetings because they see you as God's people. We are part of something global. A tiny little group in Castleford is part of a global historical body of people who will be one day united together. And so be thankful for the greetings that we send to each other across the world that we receive from each other across the world. So decide to rejoice, strive for peace, be affectionate. And then the final concluding verse we could say is, may you be blessed. I think the closing statement is meant to remind us, to stir us, 
to encourage us to realize the overwhelming nature of God in his desire to redeem us. Look at what it says. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, really simple way of remembering grace is this. God's riches at Christ's expense. May the, the riches of Jesus Christ, which he paid for you to receive, may they be yours. The love of God. If our God, Father, our Father God in heaven did not love us, he would not have sent his son. But he does not leave us alone. He maintains the relationship even now by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? God loving, God active in Jesus and God present in the Holy Spirit. This mystery of, of a, 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 a one God in three persons. I pray that as we conclude this final section of this book that we've been working through lockdown, I pray that the Christchurch family, that you may know this, that you may know God's blessing on you, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would really deeply and richly know this. If you're tuning in and you know Jesus, I pray that you may deeply and richly know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And if you do not yet know this God, I pray that you might receive that blessing of knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. A few months ago, we've mentioned it, I think already over these past few months, there was a song that was released. It was a Carrie Job song. It's called The Blessing. And it was performed by churches from all over the UK who were drawn together into a single video praying the blessing of God on this country. Some of the words in it are phenomenal. They're so moving. And we'll send out the link so that you, if you haven't seen it, uh, you might be able to catch up on that. But listen to this. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. That's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. All around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. They're amazing words, aren't they? That is what the presence of God is. That is the ultimate comfort in hardship. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in the coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. He is for you. That is the greatest thing that we can know in this world. That Jesus Christ 
our Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit are for you. I pray that that might be our hope. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.